It's Monday, November 9th, 2020, and you're listening to episode 555 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 46 minutes. We've spent the past several minutes of the show with the three of us kind of laying out the attack. Brodor, I think it is only fair to give you a chance now, at least to get a sentence or two in before we cut you off again. (laughs) Why do you think minis add to the game or what do you think they add to the game? So how would you respond to the points we raised or what simply points of your own would you make on the value add of minis? Well, let me first say that everything that spawned this conversation was Chad making a post online on the host forums about are minis still a valued thing in the industry? And he had mm. noticed that a lot of the online portals like Roll20, Fantasy Ground, etc., were using some sort of icon representation. Now, I think that that helps a lot, particularly with online gaming, because you're not in the same room for the purposes of settling dispute, right? Right. I was over here. This person was inside the radius of my haste. They get the benefit for their AC bonus or no, they weren't. They were that Mm -hmm. helps. I will give you another point to yours. Once you go virtual and you have the minis, then you can have the computer be doing the math. So if somebody hits the button that they're doing haste, now the computer's doing the math to change all the bonuses for all the characters because it can see where they're at. But let me ask or posit something similar to that, which is the current spike in online play, partially due to COVID, partially due to people just liking technology, because it's so easy to use those minis that may be creating this sort of unwritten presumption that this is how role-playing games are played. And if they go to pen and paper and tabletop, they're going to bring that with them because that's an intrinsic part of the experience now. This is how it works. This so, is how yeah, it goes. I can say, I've seen when somebody has done the work to get everything set up. Remember when we said we are going to let you make points and yet then cut you off yep. anyway? Yep. All right, but, brother, but I'm <laughs> supporting your point. Well, I will say we're at least... So we're not arguing that's with you. That's my first point is, is that it is a wonderful, wonderful tool to help simulate an end dispute and for a game, Dungeons and Dragons in particular, that is particularly combat driven, having things to represent monsters and PCs in an encounter helps end dispute, but it also helps you to optimize your abilities both as the player and as the game master for combat effectiveness. Yep. But the other thing that it does is it's just f***ing cool. It's just the rule of cool. Toy soldiers are neat. They look neat. They're cool on the table. They're fun to put together. They're fun to pretend that they can be this thing or that thing. They're fun to kit bash. It's, it is, I think, and I know it's not for you guys, it is a wonderful meditative sort of Zen aspect of the hobby to sit with these things and to just sort of delve into this world where it's just kind of me and them. Right. I love toy soldiers so much. I find them so inspirational that I have toy soldiers, like whole lines of figures that I've collected for Jim McClure's never going to come out. Hmm. Satanic panic. I have done a bunch of kit bashing recently for goinfo.org's first actual play. 
um, where I bought a bunch of 40K miniatures and 40K kits, and I'm literally kit bashing lines of miniatures because in the book, there are different basically classes, playbooks, if you will. So you can be an officer or a medic or whatever, and they have art where it breaks down the different four primary races. Hey, this is one of those people in a light load, in a medium load, and in a heavy load for equipment. So I've taken my 40K figs. I've got a light load, a medium load, and a heavy load for each playbook. I find joy and inspiration there to look at that little thing and it just helps me to be can, part of that I world. I see Marie Kano going to his house and it's like all this crap everywhere and she's like, but does this bring you joy? And he's like, yes. It's super organized. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know I don't look like it, but it's... it's oh no, I've, I've seen... Yeah. It's super, you know, it's yeah, super it's organized. Nice. I've, I've, when it comes to that part of the hobby, Broder yeah. and I could not be more different. Mm. You know, that's relaxing for him. And for me, I would want to throw the figure across the room against the wall. When, but back to the digital <laughs> aspect, you don't have the pretty minis on there. You have little tokens. Right. So you don't have that. But what you don't have online is you don't have the interactions around the table. You are missing something that you have physically around the table that is just, it's hard to put into words. Yeah. But that means that sometimes online you need something else. Video of people's faces isn't going to cut it. If you're doing a stream of something, I don't want to watch a stream of people. I'd rather watch a stream of their minis moving around. And when you add in the automation, I have only played a couple of online games where somebody took the time to get all the automation set up and all. That adds something to it where it's doing all the math. You press this simple button and cool stuff happens. And the GM presses a button and there's fog of war and then things are being revealed and the map is... It's a showmanship because you don't have the showmanship you have around the now table. His plot is only like two games long because he spent the past 160 yeah. hours automating all this crap. But, but I yeah. think that's why people migrate to that that may not yeah, even necessarily all, use minis around the table. They lose some of the showmanship they have at the table. So they have to replace it in another way. Mm. And having things on the screen, artwork or minis that you're moving around, that's a way to do showmanship that you can't do because you're not sitting at the table with people well and let's be clear they are art right they're statues yeah, they're sculptures that they're, was yeah. something they're, they're they are art and that art is inspirational and right your I argument you could say that about minis or pornography sure, sure. <laughs> well it's it, for for me the only difference between Looking at really cool art on Deviant Art are on Suicide what, Girls, yeah, or Suicide Girls. The thing, which about, is also something I find boring. It, I don't look at art online. I find uh, it boring. I don't look at art books. It's I, not see, my thing. I I find that visual really really inspirational. The only difference for me is is that when I'm building the miniature or painting the miniature. Not only am I being inspired by the art, but I'm creating the art that is inspired. I guess. Okay. So it's not me. It's an art and a craft. But I I get it because one of the things I've talked about in the past is when I'm looking for inspiration for a game to really get myself in the zone, I might put on a movie in the background that's relevant. If I'm about to write a Star Trek game, I might put a Star Trek movie on. If I'm prepping to do a Battletech game... If I'm blanking out, I might just flip through the books and just find random bits of art and they just kind of trigger something in my brain that gets me thinking that direction. Or sometimes it's a song. The Skies of Glass game we're running right now was inspired by two things. 
One was the movie Mr. Freeze. Well, everything's Mr. Freeze. (laughs) But one was the black the movie The Black Hole. And the other is a song by a group called Full Tilt. And the song is Aurora. Aurora FT. Which that's where it came from. There's also actually something else Eric figured into that as well. That's another story. But you know, the point is that I could see in the same way that either creating or looking at the figures, the minis maybe has that same effect for people, even if it doesn't for me, I can understand why it might for somebody else of, you know, they are walking through their game store or looking on Amazon or whatever they do. And they see like, wow, that is a badass looking manticore. I've got to design something around. This. By the so, way, best owl bear ever <laughs> recent that the D and D whiz kids pre-assembled primered, ready to paint out of the box. Their owlbears f***ing tits. But they just came out <laughs> with a manicore recently. Best looking manicore. I mean, I about blew a load in my shorts. I was so excited. I was like, I just want to buy two because I want to have one never removed from box. Well, and certainly, <laughs> I think people think differently when they visualize as well. So, for example, when you're visualizing, let's say, a beholder, how do you visualize it? Well, describe depends. it to me. Well, now, hold on a second, because you said Beholder, and I have half a dozen windows open in my brain story, because I need to know which Beholder are we talking about. Are we talking about an undead Beholder? Are we talking about a Beholder Lich? Are we talking about Pick a your favorite, because I've never actually seen one in a game. Oh, all right, so he's, well, all right, there's Beholders, there's Undead Beholders, there's Beholder Ken, but he right. just said Beholder, so yeah. we're going to go with just the beholder. Yeah. The what, pl- no adjectives. What comes to your mind? What do you visualize? So this massive xenophobic alien aberration thing with 10 tentacles, each stalk with its own eye at the end, each pupil illuminating a different bit of sort of crackling magic until it opens its center eye and you get that massive anti-magic wave. Oh, I love them. I visualize a very vague eye, and a paragraph of text. I can't actually take a Beholder seriously because when I read about Beholders in, I think, second or third edition, they described that some of them use swords and they have special attachments, so the sword goes on their tongue and they use the swords (laughs) on their tongue, and I'm like, "Mm, nope. (laughs) I'm never going to use one of these in a game. (laughs) This is ridiculous. Basically, we have three of us here. You describe something very visual. For me, I have information that flows through, but when we're describing a scene, I don't see colors or faces or I see very vague outlines of people and where they're at. Chad, he had ideas and concepts and things he remembers. When we mention a beholder, the first thing he thinks is, hey, there was something stupid with the with." Your attachments and things. That's Each still of something. I mean, yeah. It's canon. <laughs> I mean, it's there. For someone uh. like you who's an artist, you picture this very visual thing that you're going to draw. Whoa, whoa, now, and now that's a big, by That's it. a big word. I'm not going to go so far as to call myself an artist. But you're yeah. I, artiste. But, but I okay. am a visual thinker, yes. for sure. You yeah. are someone artistically yeah. minded. Right. Well, and you're uh, thinking about that, and you're more motivated by that. And it makes sense that you're going to be somebody that goes towards miniatures well and tied in with that i mean let's look at the phrase that brodor just used that he's visually minded right that people picture things in different ways people learn in different ways people consume information in different ways and for some people it is they need that visual that visual is not just a matter well this inspires me 
the visual is a matter of this is the only way in which I understand it. Yeah, I think in sentences. I really? see the sentence in there like I just typed it into a screen. That's how I visualize things typically. See, even when I speak or when I write, everything is pictures. Brodor and I are very visual people. Mm -hmm. Concepts are actual visual things. All of my memories are all visual. When you said beholder, literally my brain went through a Rolodex mm -hmm. of all these different beholder arts that and, I have and seen. And as you were talking about the different and ones. And I'm just pulling this was, one out and this yeah, one out and this one out. Right. Like up. I can see it in my head. Mm -hmm. And probably for me, the biggest curse is that I can't draw it. I can yeah, see yeah. it, right? I can see exactly how I want something to look. I can't draw it. I can't paint it. I can't. Yeah, and both you and me are both in games. We both love the hobby. We like different aspects sometimes. Right. The idea of doing miniatures to me just sounds excruciating. The Would you play a game? Stuff. Right. Would you? Because most of the time when I have people in my gaming group, I tell them, just come to my house. Don't buy a book. Don't bring. You bring whatever you want to bring. Just show up. I've got figs, I've got books, I've got dice, I've got pencils. I've played plenty just of times play. with minis. I have no problem with okay. it. You I just don't started off do... against it. I don't like the hobby of miniatures because to me, that's a completely separate hobby. I don't have a problem with miniatures. I don't think it's bad wrong. Like Wayne, I have done yeah. miniatures. In fact, I started with miniatures. Yeah. I pull them out when my players ask for them. I don't think it actually takes away from the game, and I don't think not having them takes anything away from the game. I, I think that a good point that somebody brought out, I think it was you, Brodor, said that if you're playing a very tactical, surgical kind of numbers sort of game where it's life, death, there's it's very binary thing, you kind of need that. Yeah, I, I, I just interviewed a guy, Tim Spikowski. I just dropped the episode. They use tabletop gaming as training in spec ops, right? Because he, he was in, I can't say which, but he was a private contractor. And they'll use miniatures to train they'll literally set up a table with miniatures that replicates the field they'll go through exercises with figs on the table and literally go outside in the field and do kinetics mm -hmm. based on the miniature game that they just played out right like that to me is pretty f***ing cool it's the separate game idea but i mean talk about a real world impact right and to me miniature gaming in the role-playing game hobbies the same way because if we're playing skies of glass and i think i can't say for sure but i think the situation with marlene maybe i wouldn't have died maybe i would have read the situation differently if there was a representation on the table and i would have had a better understanding not because dan did anything wrong as a game master or that i did anything wrong with the as a player it's just it's a tool that i've become accustomed to i have actually two things of that like in the current situation the sky's a glass i know for a fact that the last thing that happened in the last game with my character gill and the big bad, so to speak, and getting pulled off occurred differently in Dan's mind than it did in my mind. They are almost incompatible. The outcomes are the same. The thing is, it doesn't matter to me. It's cool. Whatever makes the scene, it isn't a matter of one is right, one is wrong. It's a matter of, I think they're both different. And the cool thing about role-playing games is that either Dan and I's vision of what actually happened is going to merge into something separate and awesome, or one is going to 
markets sort of outweigh the other in terms of interest of how interesting it is. And then that one will have legs and take flight again. It isn't for me. It isn't a matter of right or wrong. It's just how I was visualizing it. I know for a fact it was very different how Dan was visualizing mm. it. And if we had that all mapped out on the table, then I think there actually might've been something potentially yeah. lost in that because how that turns out, you know, we all, Dan always says that, you know, the dice are the, an, an extra player that, you know, the randomness of it tells the story. And in that, I think that the uncertainty of it, the uncertainty of situations the the slight differences between how we each visualize and understand a scene and how we react to that and how it comes together and how it works is also a part of role playing that makes the story very interesting and cool. It kind of goes along with the mistakes you make and keep going with also make the story. It, it kind of expands and makes story interesting. Uh, but my my second point on that is I don't think there's anything wrong with with models and, and miniatures. I have played with them. I will play with them in the future. If somebody comes to my table and starts throwing models down and wants to play, great. I think it's wonderful. If you play with models, I think it's wonderful. I do not want models because outside of role-playing games, Chad believes in minimalism. I don't like stuff. I've seen your basement, you know, from the camera. <laughs> yeah. And that's cool. You have an entire basement devoted to all stuff. this stuff, all this yeah. stuff. stuff. And it's I very love organized stuff. and it's very, you I know, am a materialist yeah. at heart yeah. and for it's, sure. It's yeah. great. I'm on the Brodor front there. I like statues. I like minis. I am very much a display stuff. Kind I, of person. I don't want any of it. My dream that will never happen because I'm married and we have a kid and you know, there's, it's not compromised, but again, you come together in a life and the life joined together goes forward and that that's what the life is. If I were completely alone, I would have almost nothing. I would have the barest amount of things necessary for my survival, hygiene and happiness. I would have virtually nothing. But that's because that's me. The idea of models and minis are, well, you, you need a lot of them. And you need a lot of paints and you need your roofing nail and you need your drill and you need your Lowe's bucket. And you need, all that's great. And I, oh, 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 can, can uh, a bucket just for models, a five gallon bucket just no, for you, that. You, so oh you my also, God. You also use it. Like I recently did some demolition on some drywall sure, in my sure, basement sure, yeah. and I used yeah, it as a, a bucket trash a can. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, know it does a little bit of, a little bit of everything yeah so Bruno, i may not do minis at a table typically but i do like having things sitting out there for the players that are visual so for example i like con games i'll bring things or when i run dresden files i like to bring a bob the skull and set it on the table i had an entire monitor for my players in one of my games i have done models and minis for you guys for D games chess pieces and blocks yeah. and all that sort of stuff yeah, so there is definitely something there from the visual standpoint, because it's one of the things I know that that's not me. I don't get that out of visual things. I know Chad does. Mm -hmm. He's a more visual thinker than I am. For me, too, one of the other things, and Chad brought it up, everyone is experiencing it differently. Mm -hmm. Sort of like when we're reading a comic book, we're both looking at the same seven panels on a page, but for each of us, the space between panels 
is unique, right? We can all read the same page in a book, but still see and experiencing things differently. The miniatures at the table provide a common context for us to all work from. So I find Mm -hmm. that very, very helpful. But on the opposite side, and I was getting into this and I'll talk more about it in my game notes that I'm recording for Wayne. I have a hard time with us not having a unified vision. Yeah. And that thing that I was talking yeah, about where Dan's view it, of it, my yeah, view of no, it. No, no, no. And, yeah. and, and I get it. It's a hang up of mine, mm. but the miniatures at the table yeah. provide a security blanket for me, a crutch for me to help me to convey the vision at least in a somewhat more uniform fashion. Do you think that you have that out of a sense of right is right, wrong is wrong, one is one, two is two, and it's there and all is right with the world? Or do you think it comes from like a place of more like what Dan used to experience with adversarial gaming of the game master always told me that when when he had to hit it was 29 feet but when I had to hit I was 31 feet but this stops I, that I don't have those hang-ups but absolutely yes this stops that there's no opportunity for argument right mm-hmm. we're never we're never going to entertain it because that room is and 10 by 10 you're in the room you're getting hit by the fireball and suck it there's no argument right yeah. so we don't even get to that we don't have to. Yeah. There's no trauma because because I already, is... I already broke your nose. So there's no reason for you to try to punch me. Yeah. Right. No, you're yeah. I, I get what you're saying. So yeah. I'm curious, <laughs> being someone that worked in a game store as long as you did for 5e, for example, what do you think the breakdown is for groups that use minis versus groups that don't? So I can only tell you from my experience at miniature market, right? Because 5e was out after I had left Miniature Market, if I recall the dirt, or after I left Fantasy Shop. But miniature sales, huge. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say, you know, 95% of all 5e players, but I mean, if I was going to guess, and I'm just pulling a number, just gut reaction, 75%, three out of four people that are playing fifth edition that are buying books are also using miniatures out of their table. That would be about what I would guess as well, based on interacting with people that play D&D frequently, but specifically looking at the online as well. You know, people, when they're talking about D&D online, they don't usually talk about just being on Skype or Discord or Zoom. They talk about Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds. You're talking about 40 years of momentum. Well, yeah, that's that's a little hard to break. That's the other thing about miniatures and with D&D in particular is that miniatures have been there since the very beginning. Right. And so even though third edition Dungeons and Dragons makes really strong point about, hey, here's how the grid map works and here's how your fireball breaks down on the square grid. But fourth edition was and and we can get into an argument about it. I I, I know I'm generalizing almost un playable without figs almost unplayable without because no, something's no longer 30 feet anymore it's just six squares right literally things were written in squares fifth edition you could take a step back from that you could go back to that sort of osr feel but dude miniatures are already baked in the cake right i don't need to do anything specific because for 40 mm-hmm. years for decades the tradition has been we use toy soldiers for this And they still sell extremely well. I think there are a lot of new players with 5th edition, but you hit on it. D&D has this history. Not only does it have a history, it has a lot of players that have been playing a long time. 
that have invested money into their miniatures. And, and when you buy new ones. And when you've spent money on it and you're invested <laughs> into it, you want to get your money out of that. Chad, did do you buy a new car or a new radio or a new computer or new glasses? You buy new shit because the new shit's better than your old shit. Uh, do you know miniatures how, today are so much better than miniatures you know, when you were a Do you kid? know how long he's owned his truck? No. My truck is a 2001 I was, that I bought in 2006. I say, brother, I even had a car parked up the wrong tree. Yeah. 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 That, that argument would be correct with 99.99% of not chance. <laughs> you, you, miniatures are so much I took better now. I a t-shirt now. out but, today to come to the podcast, and it, it was from 2012. And I'm like, you know, Brodor likes the D&D shirt, which was behind it, <laughs> nice. so I put that one on That's instead. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I would say, no, Chad, he's not, he's not f***ing on this. He really does yeah. live his life that way. Yeah. But miniatures are so prevalent right now. There's a few Patreons that I back, right? Maybe, I don't know, 10. A couple of them specifically are shows about building terrain or about painting miniatures, right? Doing conversions, doing painting. Very, very popular. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 5,000, 7,000 mm. followers, patrons, right? But the biggest one that I follow is Titan Forge Miniatures. I so, haven't had a car payment in a decade. That's <laughs> awesome so titan <laughs> forge miniatures you spend a certain amount of money with them each month and then you just get stl files right you get mm -hmm. digital you can pay there's a local guy here metal oak castings here in the st louis area you literally pay nick's company to print your miniatures for you so you don't even need to get the 3d printer you can pay somebody else to do it what's his upcharge uh that i don't know off the top of my head only because it's going to vary so drastically between resin versus right, filament right. versus of uh, the amount you do of a little hours fling yeah, with a knife exactly. it's one thing but you do a big ass tree in right 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 exactly but then there are places like arch villain miniatures They'll do, hey, you're a patron for X amount. You get access to th these monthly miniatures. But for an additional amount, we're literally writing fifth edition modules that correspond to the miniatures that you're getting. So you can pay us your monthly Patreon fee. You can download your module and print up all the miniatures that go with that module and just play at your table. You have both mm -hmm things right there from one company cool that, idea i'd never use yeah see for me the difference is is that i'm so into it that it made me think about well how could you take that to the next level right like what's the next evolutionary step of not role-playing game miniatures but tabletop miniature gaming and what are releases like that going to look for in the future but that's not what this show's about i want my models to be like lego kits i'll put together a lego kit or like a Gundam kit that I can snap together, but everything's already painted. I have a game that I bought on Kickstarter when Kickstarter first started kind of popping up that is a tabletop warfare tactical game with robots that you put together Lego I robots with. I remember when that was on Kickstarter. I didn't back it, but I probably should have. I backed it. I, I have the books, and then I just never could find anyone to play it with. I am the oddest consumer of figs, I think. <laughs> Because I consume them. You literally eat them. I literally eat them. Yeah, no. It, <laughs> you get I, a chocolate printer. So I don't <laughs> Come here, Nar purchase, Nar <laughs> purchase them the way Brodor does to like play the game with. But I also don't refuse to purchase them. Right. I purchase them after the fact. 
<laughs> because they, they <laughs> after you need them. <laughs> exactly. I'm serious. I'm serious because they become commemorative. Sure. I have null fix mm-hmm. that I did not have when I was actually playing Gnarl. <laughs> right. I find a character that I thought was really cool. And then after the fact, I go and get a mini because you got minis and artwork. Yeah. And I get all this other Mm -hmm. stuff. It's all the supporting stuff as a bit of, I don't know what the right word is. I don't quite want to souvenir. Yeah. I don't quite want to say a sentimentality is more than that. It's like, I enjoyed this so much that it inspires me to keep creating the cool thing. It's like my little shrine to creativity. The cool thing about that game. And I'm going to honk my own horn here is I had them make huge swaths of the world. What do you want to play? Here's your character. Okay, let's expand on that. You define it, and then that defines an entire aspect of the world. And somebody creative like Dan took that and ran with it. Really ran with it. Wayne did a real deep dive into his character. Didn't necessarily expand into the world, but he took a deep dive into his character. Pat, on the other hand, really didn't do much, but it was a blank slate for me to reflect onto him the stuff I wanted to see of the world. I'm not sure you would get that in another game. I mean, yeah, you, you could. I sure. wouldn't be too egotistical here, but because you had so much creative force, not within your own character, but within the world, I mean, you were world building yeah. with your character. But I'm uh, that's something but, more than just a character. But change. that's true of most of the figs I own. I mean, right. there are a few that's just kind of, well, I don't even remember where I picked these up. These are just random smatterings of whatever. But most of the figs I own are not figs of things that I was playing mm-hmm. at the time or am playing now. These are things that I did play you are, once upon done, a time. You've done that for video games, too. You've got the Persona 5 statues. Yeah. You bought those after you were done after playing After I the beat game. the game, you, yeah. You're a person who likes Totem or Touchstone. Yeah. For you, you experience something and you enjoy it. You love it and it makes you ha- it brings you joy. It <laughs> it makes you happy. And part of that is years later there is an object. And someone like me would look at an object like that and go, "Oh my god, that's clutter. I haven't played this game in years." You would look at it and touch it or look at it or or however you interact with it. Yeah. And it would recall i i I don't think recall is necessary but it would i almost relive it yeah it allows you to reach back through time and experience that happiness yeah Yeah. i i I very much i mean and i want to say this as strongly as i can without sounding like i need the men in white coats to come (laughs) get me no but i i do really like you said i Mm -hmm. reach back is a great phrase i reach Mm -hmm. back i relive that moment and from that comes a burst of energy and inspiration surrounding that intellectual product mm-hmm. or that idea. Yeah. Years ago. I get that, too. I still have my two models from that Battletech game. Mm-hmm. They're sitting on a shelf displayed that somebody else painted for me that was a listener. Yeah. I think you had some done by the same listener. I've got various things. I've had commissioned artwork done of characters that I've had from City of Heroes, from my uh, Knights of Rainsboro actual play characters. I have artwork that I look at, and it when I see it, it reminds me of all of those things. It's not that I've forgotten them, but having something out there sitting there as a physical reminder keeps it from being this thing that happened 10 years ago that I enjoyed to this thing I think about every week or so. Objects have meaning yeah. for you guys. 
Yes. It, yeah. it, not not for me. It's totally legit. Objects have meaning for you guys. Years ago, many, many years ago, a listener reached out to me and said that he wanted to get Dan a birthday gift. I think it was a birthday gift or something. He wanted to get you a gift. And he's, he came to me. He's like, what should I get him? What does he want? And I'm like, okay, here we're going to kind of run into a problem. Dan makes a good living. And he's not afraid to buy himself whatever the hell he wants anytime he wants it. So asking what does he want is the wrong question. The question is, what can I give Dan that has meaning to me in relation to him? Because you're not getting him a gift. You're getting him and someone like Wayne an object of meaning, a totem, a touchstone, a thing where I say, Dan, this thing I've gotten you means something. It means this, and it means this, it means this to me, and it especially means this to me because I thought of you, Yeah, and I want you to have it. And people like Dan and Wayne, that's very touching for them. That, that's very, And it is, and, it, and I don't want to sound like it isn't. That's really good. Somebody like me, I'm like, thanks, that's great. <sighs> More stuff. <laughs> you still have something like that. that, that that's I got why you, most oh, yeah. of my there gift. is there is a magnet on your refrigerator yep. that is uh, Nugs Not Drugs. Nugs Not Drugs. That is a reference to one of his Dresden Files characters. Uh, well, so, and he still keeps it sitting on his fridge. Yep. This is why if I get a gift for Chad, it's always consumable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate it and love you. But I think it's partially because of the fact that to me, most experiences in my life they don't feel fully explored to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in the obsessive thinking sense of there's something that happened and I just keep reliving the same aspects of it. Right. No. But when I go back and I look at something like Gnarl, there are stories I have not told. There are mm -hmm. ideas about him I have not explored. And having that totemic, you know, or mm -hmm. whatever sort of reminder that, that you want to describe it as is a way of me reconnecting with that mm -hmm. and creating more moving forward. And this is where I'm such an odd consumer of minis is I will sometimes get a mini for something I am playing because the game requires it or at least prefers it. So if I was to play in a D and D game, Brodor's running, okay, I'd go to hero forge and I'd get them to make something that looks what I think, is going don't, don't even bother. I got you. All right, but the point. Tell me what you want. <laughs> okay, I got well, you. the point is wherever I went, I'd go somewhere and I'd get something that looks like a stand-in for what I'm playing. Would I actually keep that after the game's over? Would I care about it? Would I go back and get an even higher quality one or a bigger one or whatever? I don't know. That's something that I only start thinking about after the fact not before the fact. See, I'm the opposite. I'll go to the game store and I'll peruse the miniatures and I'll see something cool mm. that came out and I'll think that's an amazing, just absolutely beautiful piece of work. How do I incorporate this into my game or how yeah. do I write a story around this? I bought age of Sigmar, which is basically Warhammer mm. fantasy game. Their current incarnation. I think they're on second edition any which way they had a box of living spell effects came out. I bought the box of living spell effects, kept the spell effects that I wanted all because one spell effect is this Unicron like villain in my mind. It looks like a living sphere sort of, you know, third edition 3.5 living spell 
sphere of annihilation, sentient lich thing, right? It just looks like a skull of null. It's so cool. And I was like, well, there's my epic villain. I'm going to buy that whole box set so I can have this one guy <laughs> yeah. for a villain at the See, end that's, that's, and then end up literally just piecemealing it out and making my I'm money talking. back by selling the other miniatures <laughs> to other people. That's what I'm talking yeah. about is... is <laughs> I mean, I see roughly three models of consumption. Excuse the pun on model. But the first one is I'm going to buy what I need to run my game. I've got my game worked out and it involves a treant. I'm going to go buy a treant. The second model is what you're describing of you go look at the minis. You're like, wow, this is the most badass treant I've ever seen. I'm going to build some portion of my game. Yeah, around clearly there's a coven of hags in the swamp and they've blighted the whole thing thing and this treant is now chaotic evil and it has this virulent disease because it's all blighted and gross and obviously it's poisonous or venomous i'm that extreme minority who only buy the treant if i've already met him (laughs) i think there's a fourth of i don't know what's going to come up in my game so i want some of everything i would put that in category one of of what you need for your game it's just you haven't decided for sure this is going to be in there but well, I mean, really, I'm really drawing the differentiation between type one and type two is type two is being inspired by the miniature, whereas type one is simply having the miniature for your inspiration. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's getting it for the sake of populating a world that you or a story, you know, you want to tell, whereas type two is deciding to populate based on what they see that looks cool. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I can't tell you the number of times where my players have said, I can't believe you found a figure for that. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't believe after all of these years, you think that I didn't buy the figure first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, the, the one of the few games that I am an avid figure buyer for without it being retrospective is Battletech because Battletech's war game aspect and it is a mix of war game and role playing game as war game aspect really does require the miniatures and so I backed that Battletech Kickstarter that was out was it a year or two ago and they've released a lot of stuff they're stuck behind the eight ball because of all the interruptions and production and shipping because of COVID but I believe they are delivering in good faith because all the things they've been capable of delivering. So, you know, fiction and new rules and such things are electronic. They've been delivering very proactively. So I, I don't think they're ghosting, but you know, I went through and I backed that at one of its highest levels because of the fact that it gets me a ton of all kinds of different figs for inner sphere max for clan max i think there might be some vehicles in there i don't remember for sure but it's basically everything i would need to be able to populate a game of battle tech without between each game having to go out and buy a new round of mechs or when wayne gets his mech blown out from under <laughs> him and he switches from a marauder to an orion i'm like well we're going to use this wasp as a stand-in because I don't own an Orion. You know, I've already got it here. Or if I need to ton up or ton down the enemy they're facing or they switch sides in the middle of combat, something happens. You know, I've got that backlog. But Battletech's the only game I do that for. I didn't do that for anything else. I will say not every game that I run, but if miniatures are an option for that game, 
I will get miniatures for that game. So much so that I have, and, and I'll order a lot of miniatures from Europe, right? Because the English in general just do miniature gaming better than we do. But there's a lot of great European companies that have some really niche. And no, I'm not going to say niche because I'm an ignorant, fat-tongued American. There are companies out there that have some really good niche miniatures that you can get from various companies, you know, England, Poland, etc. There's some great Canadian companies for miniatures. But if you want busty ladies <laughs> in a pantsuit with an MP5, well, I got that fig, right? If you want a Johnny Quest facsimile with Haji and Race and Dr. Quest, that's out there. You can get those figs, right? If you want modern day operators in the Middle East, you can do that. And then you can combine that with other, well, hell, there's Cthulhu figs out there, right? Mm -hmm. I want to do Mogadishu, Chocho, King and Yellow cult. I'll find it, right? I mean, it's a beautiful time to be a gamer who's into toy soldiers because there's so many wonderful well, options. Well, I tell you for what. someone like you, you can probably fix them to make them look like you want. When I was first doing Pathfinder Society, that was something where my wife wanted to play a gunslinging female. We had the damnedest time finding a mini for a gunslinging female that was fully dressed. I was about to say, yeah. I had clothes. Yeah. And what we ended up doing was picked out the miniature. The guy that did my Battletech minis, his wife was really good with green stuff and oh, yeah. painting. And so you, you, know, you bought a guy with clothes and yeah, we bought a female yeah. character. Oh. A model sent straight over there. She added the green stuff. She painted. Yeah. And she actually uh, would get in there and make the clothes look all natural. And it looked beautiful. And it was exactly what she was wanting. It was a nice physical representation. For me, I never really do physical representations of my character. I cringe so hard when someone's running a game and they say, find me a picture online that represents your character. Because I don't visually visualize what my character looks like. And maybe their clothes, like if they're there's a superhero a, costume. There's a website but. that you can go to that basically scans Google images or something of people's faces. And then it uses this sort of algorithm to combine multiple pictures into a new person. And I would say about seven times out of ten, it looks indistinguishable. Like this person, this is a real yeah. photograph of a real person completely this person does not exist now sometimes the algorithm like puts an eye up on their forehead or something like that but it's really neat. you can just keep clicking through until you okay that guy looks fine whatever then we'll use him it's funny i think about my knights of ringsburg character ricochet i have no idea what he looks like with the mask off i visualized his costume described that an artist drew it for me i have a bunch of pictures of that costume i have never even visualized what he looks like without the mask on looks like john travolta because that's not how I think about my characters. I think about my characters like they are me walking around. I see through their eyes and they're not looking in mirrors. See, I just always I'm just immediately thinking about that dimple on his left cheek. That's just a little off center, right? It's just it's a little asymmetric and it's always made him self-conscious. <laughs> <laughs> huh. That was oddly specific. That was weirdly specific. I, I don't want to know where this comes from. So I think that's where we're going to end this. This going to be a two-parter? Yeah, this was set out to be a one-parter and has become a two-parter, which is fine. We'll just <laughs> Which, amazingly, the second part's going to be like cogent. 
and logical. <laughs> the first part's a mess. Yeah. Yeah, usually these things kind of fall apart. We're going to lose one a lot of listeners on the first part. Chained together. So, anyway, love to hear what your guys' thoughts are. Also, and I will say, before anybody gives us a, their thoughts, we know the existence of projectors and automated tools and how you can project the map and the minis and you can do it all on computers and that's great yeah. but we're not going to do it so and i am going to try to link to the person that did the work for me for BattleTech and did some work for wayne because she does do some great stuff yeah. so i'm going to try to look up her language i'm 99 sure i have and put a link to her store so if you want to Talk to her about getting some custom stuff done. I hope she's still doing it. Otherwise, I'm about to send her a bunch of harassing emails. <laughs> but beyond that, you guys have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. But before you go, drill your barrels. If you're playing 40K or any game that has large caliber firearms in it, if you're completing your models, you got to take the extra step, buddy. You got to drill your barrels. Just rifle them while you're just at it drill your no don't don't that now that's now we're just getting crazy Jack. and then then kind of like but carve out drill, like a slug at the bottom drill of the barrel. your barrels just yeah. just drill your barrels trust me it looks so much better phenomenal i don't even understand what you're talking about the gun i thought barrel. you were talking about the bucket <laughs> <laughs> so you're drilling a hole in the bucket. Oh, and we will see you next time <laughs> This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.